routine of Talk That Talk. I'm your host, Fallon Stokes, and we have a special guest today. We have Dr. Io Gavin, a psychiatrist uh, here in Atlanta, the metro Atlanta area. But I've known Dr. Io for some years now. We attended Georgia Tech together. And uh, welcome, Dr. Io Gavin. How you Thanks doing? Thanks for having me. <laughs> Well, can I call you Dr. Io or you, you want Dr. Gavin? Dr. Io, Io, you know. Okay. They know okay. who I am, what I do. So, you know, whatever you think is best. <laughs> All right. Well, let me just give some background just about you. So, you're from Daytona Beach, Florida. That's where you grew up. Mm-hmm. Um, you're board certified child, adolescent, and adult psychiatrist, specializing in relationships and trying to help build family dynamics. And eliminating the stigma that comes with mental illness, which I think is something crucial or critical in this day and age. Um, Best-selling author, co-authored the book, The Modern Trophy Wife. (laughs) I see you over there, Dr. Ayo. You know, Um, I'm trying to do my thing. (laughs) (laughs) And um, it talks about, you know, how to achieve your life's goals or your goals while thriving at home, which I think is important for women and trying to balance those things. And uh, you completed your psychiatric training and fellowship at Emory University School of Medicine. Um, You also went to medical school at Morehouse School of Medicine, which is awesome at HBCU. Let's shout that out. I had to work one of those in there. (laughs) (laughs) And then you attended and got your BS at Georgia Tech, of course. So you've gone to some fine institutions where you've done or you've done your studies over the years to become a psychiatrist. And now you're currently the medical director at Molina Healthcare Mm -hmm. and also have your own private practice where you're working with couples and also working with juveniles. So uh, that's just amazing work. And uh, we just going to dive right into it. So just tell us a little bit about your journey of becoming an MD. Like, when did you decide you wanted to become a doctor? So the funny thing is, I know people think it's lame, but I was one of those kids who had like the doctor set and I like always wanted to be a doctor. Like my mom thought it was crazy. She's like, you actually did what you wanted to do. Right. But I thought I wanted to be a pediatrician when I was younger and I thought I wanted to work with, you know, sick kids. But then I decided, you know what? I don't really love kids when they're sick, sick, you know? And I just really enjoyed talking to them, getting their stories, working with the families. And so, you know, I think psychiatry worked better for me in terms of what I enjoyed and what I like to do. And I think what my calling just was. Okay. Okay. So talk about a little bit growing up in Daytona Beach, Florida. You know, I know that's like a beach town, but how was it? (laughs) I know, right? (laughs) As a kid, like touristy, you know, I don't know. So many people from there. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and people are like, I never meet people that are actually from there. And it's it's really interesting because it's really a small town. Like, right. it's very popular, but it's really small. Kind of everyone knows everyone sort of place. And so my mom worked at, I don't know if you, it's called Bethune-Cookman oh, yeah. University yeah. now. It used to be Bethune-Cookman College uh-huh. uh, back in the day. So everyone knew her. Oh, Dr. She, you know. So I was one of those kids. Like, everyone knew who my mom was, who my family was. So right. I tried to stay under the radar. <laughs> <laughs> um, but just love growing up in a town where you just felt supported and there was a sense of community. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it was just great. We had a lot of support. Oh, no. That's awesome. So, you know, growing up in Daytona Beach or just in general, like who were some of your mentors that really helped you, I guess, generate your focus and want to become a doctor? 
Yeah. So the interesting thing is because my mom worked at a university, you kind of had your pick of the litter of people to kind of, she could reach you up and hook you up with people. So I actually uh, really became close with one of her friends who was um, um, a a professor at the time who did a lot of work um, as a dean, but like as a dean of students where you Mm -hmm. would kind of counsel students and help them when they had issues, you know, so you got, they got to really see the human side of the students, not just the academic side. And so she mentored me and helped me find out there was a program at my school called peer counseling. Oh. Yeah. So I became a peer counselor in high school. (laughs) (laughs) You would, I am. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I became like a mini little counselor of my my peers. So started kind of early in that journey, but it was definitely all up to some of those mentors I had being in that academic setting. Okay. So you mentioned before that initially you were inter- interested in becoming a pediatrician. So yeah. what gauge your interest to get into psychiatry? Yeah. So I shadowed a, psych- a pediatrician when I was in high school. One of the other things uh-huh. I did. And they were just doing things. I was, I was like, I wouldn't say I was bored, but I, it wasn't, I wasn't passionate about it. I was like, oh, you're checking eyes and ears. Oh, you're giving immunizations, like things that are so important, Mm -hmm. but it just, something was missing. Mm -hmm. Um, But when they had to talk to families about like, maybe they had food insecurity or the family was struggling with something. I felt like, oh, okay, let me get more into this. This is interesting. So I talked to my, uh, the person I shadowed, it was like called like a clerkship. And they Mm -hmm. were like, you know what? I think you would be really good at psychiatry. You know, that's the aspect you seem more into. (laughs) So then when I went to medical school and residency, everyone's like, oh, you're too smart to be a psychiatrist. That's for people who like, yeah, like within the medical field, there was like a hierarchy. Really? You know, people who were like made all the money and did all the surgery and people think are cool and kind of whittled down a lowly psychiatrist who were like, oh, y'all just talk to people. (laughs) So it was a real interesting dynamic. So then I was like, well, maybe there should be something different. So I went and did other things and was like, nope, I love it. This is what I'm doing. Okay. Okay. So like, talk about some of like the pitfalls you may have faced being a black woman in this industry, um, you know, pursuing, um, you know, a degree in psychiatry or your MD. Like how hard was that as being a, a black female and going to medical school and then your residency? Yeah. And I think the interesting thing is one of the reasons I did go to Morehouse School of Medicine and go to an HBCU is because, you know, at Georgia Tech, you know, we really learned how to assimilate and, you know, work with different types of people. There was a lot of diversity, uh, but it wasn't necessarily like you felt like someone was looking out for you and trying to help you, you know, with things that would come up, whether it be racial or some intolerance or just pitfalls. And so I didn't, I love Georgia Tech and everything, but I wanted somewhere where I could feel a little more supported, learn a little bit more about cultural medicine, how to work that into my evaluations, my assessments and things like that. So I think as a Black woman, you really have to advocate for yourself because Mm -hmm. I feel like we either get ignored or people pretend like, oh, you're just a person, right? I don't see right. color. You know, right. color is not an issue. And you're mm-hmm. like, what? How do you, what? you don't see color. I'm standing right in your face. 
Or you're kind of put into that, you know, angry black woman kind of category mm-hmm. where it's like, if you try to be assertive or say, no, I'm going to medical school, I'm going to succeed, that sort of thing. People say, oh, okay, you know, calm down. So I think <laughs> I've still had run-ins with that even recently, you know, mm-hmm. with the election and all the things going on in the country where I felt like I had to assert myself and say, you know, I am a black woman and I will right. not be ignored and you will not talk over me, you will not ignore me or belittle me. So I think even as a doctor, you know, I'm a black woman first. That's what people know. That's what people see. So, you know, being an MD doesn't change, you know, some of the things we experience. Oh, no, that's so true, especially during this social climate. You're right with the political climate we've been in for the last few months during this pandemic. It's been so out there and you've really understood how much the black woman is so disrespected. Um, And you really do have to stand your ground in a way as a black woman and you're you're a black woman first. We are. And you have to always remember that when you encounter these different groups of people or these different rooms of how we're flowing because we're smart, educated and we're getting our seat at the table now. So that's just impressive. So let's just transition a bit. Let's get some of your expertise since you're the relationship guru. That's what we're calling you this episode. So I'll take it. Well, let's talk about marriage and kids a bit. So you co-authored this book, The Modern Trophy Wife. And, you know, you talk about the dynamics of relationships, women dealing with marriage, balancing a husband or a spouse, kids and working or whatever life goals they want to achieve that sometimes get put on the back burner because of these family responsibilities as a wife. But talk a bit, a little bit about how you can juggle that and still meet your life goals and, and be a great wife and a great mother at the same time. And I think, and I'm so glad you ended with that statement, be a great wife and a great mother. I think people's definitions of that needs to be evaluated. Like, what does Mm -hmm. it mean to be a great wife? What does it mean to be a great mother? I had a totally different view of what that meant before (laughs) I did it, before I did both of them, right? Right. So the funny thing is when we wrote Modern Trophy Wife, I was married, but I okay. hadn't had kids yet. So a mm-hmm. lot of the book is from my perspective of being a child psychiatrist and working with children and families and, and my studies, right? So mm-hmm. more of an academic. Mm-hmm. Um, I probably would have, you know, written, I need to do a part two where it's like, <laughs> okay, this is the real, real. But one thing that's consistent across is that I think we as women are too hard on ourselves. You know, mm-hmm. we want to be, you know, perfect and beautiful and thin and smart and funny and, you know, the, a good wife and a good mom. And, you know, that means this or that. And so you have to really define what that means for you and say, is that possible, right? Like, I can't be you know, a hot shot doctor and do all the work I want to do, but still be a stay at home mom, that kind of stuff. Right. Right. You know, I had to make the decision about my kids going to daycare, you know, during COVID, things like that. So you really have to define what your goals are and if they're realistic and and make sure they are realistic and and go easy on yourself. Right. Mm -hmm. Don't be so hard on ourselves as women, um, you know, trying to take on everybody's stuff and be everything to everybody. Sometimes you can only be, you know, a doctor. Sometimes you can, in that moment, only be the mom and everything's got to wait. And sometimes you can only be the wife and the kids got to go to the nanny or go to, you know, your grandma's house and you have alone time. So I think the key to juggling it is actually 
you know, like the scales, like you're a lawyer, the scales of justice, right? Like right now I'm doing very professionally, but y'all gonna have to, you know, give me some grace, you know, or I'm doing the mom thing. Like I told you earlier, I had to put my podcast on hold because, you know, I wanted to be home with my kids when I'm home with my kids. So no, you can't do necessarily everything you want to do, but you can be an amazing person, an amazing, you know, uh, wife, mother, and in your profession, if you're not striving for perfection. Got you. Got you. That's a great outlook to kind of put it in place with me using the term great, but you know, some people get so caught up in that connotation and mm-hmm. it's not so, it's what your, what your balance is, what your right. own greatness is. So. And reevaluate um, that over time. You know, yeah. what I thought was a great mom when I had one kid <laughs> has definitely changed now that I have two. I'm like, oh yeah, we we're not doing all that. We doing. <laughs> we 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 lowered this bar a little bit. <laughs> you know. So yeah, y'all ain't necessarily gotta have flies, clothes, fly shoes. We ain't washing pacifiers and you right. know, UV light every time. <laughs> like we're we're reevaluating this over time. <laughs> so like um you know, I know it's hard sometimes for married couples to find time for themselves. Once you have kids, just like you said, it's like the kids become number one priority. So talk about the importance of still trying to find that balance as a couple, making time for yourselves together, whether it's still dating like you did when, you know, you record each other or how do you keep the marriage fresh and still balance uh, the relationship you have with your partner and still doing your duties as a mother with your kid. I think, you know, similarly to what we're saying about juggling just life in general, you have to check in with your spouse and say, look, okay, what makes us, you know, stable? Is it our Mm -hmm. emotional intimacy? Is it that every night after the kids go to bed, we're having conversations about our day and how we're doing and how we're feeling? Mm -hmm. Is it sex? Is it intimacy? Is it like we need to have sex at least three or four times a week, you know, for us to feel okay? So you have to have that conversation and be real with yourself. Every couple has priorities, right? I know a couple that they do not miss a date night. Like every Friday they're calling us like, y'all want to go out? Y'all want to go out? I'm like, we got kids. Like, what do you mean? Like, but that's their thing. They want to get dressed up and be sexy and go out, you know, but they don't necessarily do the nightly check-ins on their emotional, you know, connection and stability and things like that, that other couples might, you know, think is the key to the stability. So you've got to really be insightful about your relationship. And of course, again, that'll change over time, right? When you you know, in your twenties, maybe sex five times a week (laughs) is your priority. You know, when you're 32, it might be going out. When you're 40, it might be those check-ins, but you have to know kind of your relationship climate and what makes it go and what fuels it at each particular moment and make sure to try to check in on those things. And you're not going to be perfect, just like anything else. You know, maybe you had sex once that week and you look back and like, oh, we only did it once this week. You know, we need to you know, get it in. You know, what? can we get a quickie? But, you know, just try to check in on those things as often as you can, especially with kids being so, you know, needy and they, they really do need you, right? Mm-hmm. You know, your spouse, you lose sight of that because there's these little people looking at you like if you don't feed me I starve if you don't change me you know I'm sitting in it but your spouse you're like well you're a grown man or you're a grown woman so you don't need me but within a marriage you do you need that person to support you and cheer you on and be your you know your confidant so you have to you know remember that no they don't need you to like physically survive but they need you emotionally gotcha and I guess just specifically what are some ways that you would probably 
advise or, you know, give some advice to your clients or your patients just about how to spice up a marriage, you know, how to keep it going. I see date night is one of the things you just said, but what are some Mm -hmm. other ways? So people always get at me, but I'm like, you got to put sex on your calendar, right? So if you're Mm -hmm. like, oh, this week, this week, this week, like, nope, mm -mm, like, oh, Wednesday, (laughs) you know, people think it's so lame, but the couples that schedule it, get Mm -hmm. it in a little more. Gotcha. <laughs> you know what I mean? They they maintain it because <laughs> they're talking about to. it. You know, they're they're not just leaving things unsaid. Uh-huh. You know, really the more communication, the better. Whatever okay. it's about, you just have to communicate. If you're like, yo, I'm really feeling down or tired or exhausted this week. I need you to step up your your duties as a dad. You know, my husband happens to be an amazing dad. Like he's mm-hmm. just flows. Like, I don't know how he does it. Like he has even more energy than me. He's more impatient with the kids. It's right. Crazy, but everyone doesn't necessarily have that. So you have to tell your spouse, like, in order for me to be sexy for you this week, I'm going to need you to do some dishes or wash some bottles or do some laundry. And maybe I'll have you a little more, you know, in the mood. Right. Exactly. Right. So, you know, whatever you need to be the best wife or intimate partner you could be, you've got to communicate that to your partner. Because sometimes okay. we let that stuff build up, right? We're doing the laundry, right. we're throwing it in, like, oh, I wish he would do laundry. Like, <laughs> but you never asked him. You just thought he would just do it. So right. you got to communicate. Okay. Yeah, that's the key to any relationship because then yeah. you just have, you know, um, arguments and just, you know, strife if you don't communicate and just say mm-hmm. how you really feel. Now, I know I've had friends ask me that, friends that are married, but just like the importance. I remember being a kid, my mother, both my parents, they mother and father, they worked. So we couldn't have like family dinner every night, right. sit down mm-hmm. as a family. But we we did that usually on Sundays. Yeah. Um, but just talk about the importance of just maintaining a family dynamic or taking time out as a family to yeah. even do the smallest things like eat dinner together. How important is that right. for the family dynamic? Yeah, I think. And now our community, we don't have that sense of family and community as much anymore. Even mm-hmm. I talk to some families, they do family dinner, but everyone's on their iPads or their phones right. or, you know, the TV's on in the background. And it's so it's more about quality time. Right. So it's mm-hmm. not like every every Sunday we eat dinner together. But if you're on your phone or you're texting or you're not talking, it really doesn't matter. So I think no matter how often it is or what you're doing, just make sure everyone's checked in and everyone's present, right? Okay. It might only be like, even with your children, 10 minutes alone with a child and talking to him and reading one book to that child and then reading yeah. 10 minutes. They're like, oh my God, I got all my mom's attention. <laughs> and it was literally like 10 minutes, but they felt that, you feel it. And so as the family, even if it's an hour a day where you guys are just sitting around saying, well, what was the best part of your day this day? Mm-hmm. Or what was the best part of your week? Everyone's phone's off, you know, unless you're showing them a picture or something that, you know. Yeah. So I think it's more about making whatever time or whatever activities you all like to do together quality. Okay. Okay. Great advice. So I'm a transition, Black women in dating. I'm still single. So, and I'm living in Atlanta and I was looking at these numbers and I'm like, you know, Atlanta is like the black Mecca. It, we make up 52% of the population in Atlanta. Yeah. Um, and it's 80,000 more single women than single men in Atlanta. Yeah. So talking about that with dating, I mm-hmm. know some people are interested in do online dating. I've tried it. It's not for me. <laughs> I just think it's too, too, too impersonal. Like you need yeah. to have that personal. I need it personal type of dialogue where you actually meet somebody, go out, yeah. but we're in a pandemic. So it's not yeah, as, exactly. as it was prior to. Right. So I know online dating is probably very popular right now. Yes. 
But just speak a little bit about just about dating, yeah. some of the hurdles I think Black women face in general yeah. um, with dating. And, and what are some good tips in just going through that process and, and hopefully trying to find your right mate? Yeah. So let me start with the online dating thing, because I okay. did. I do a seminar. I haven't done it in a little bit, but yeah. just on online dating and why someone like you would find it difficult. Right. Right. And a lot of times it's little things that you can change about the process. So like I met my husband online. I think, okay. you, did you know that? I, met I did not know that. Online. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> I pride myself on being a, a pretty good online dater, right? Okay. So a lot of my friends, when I was single, that were online dating, they like wouldn't respond to people's messages for like two and three days, or they wouldn't check their messages, or they would put the, I know, I know, or they would put the worst pictures up, like, oh, but it was fun. I'm like, but you were like bending up, like, what are you doing? So I wrote a whole program on like profile pictures, like mm-hmm. that was like a whole session. Just okay. what to put in your profile pictures, who you know, after you start engaging with, you can't go a day or two without talking, like, that's rude, like, right. What do you mean? That's like texting someone and you see red and it's just like they didn't answer for two days. You <laughs> never do that. So why are you doing an online dating? Or mm. even someone hit you up that might be, you know, a great catch for you, but you know, it took you too long to answer, or you would just ask like a barrage of questions, like, how tall are you? What do you do? Like, right. You know, like you wouldn't do that in person. So I think people have poor online dating etiquette. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, there's a lot of books about it. So I wouldn't necessarily say like, go to this book or this book. But I think the key is like, don't do anything online. You probably wouldn't do in person, right? Right. If someone asked you on a first date to their house, like if you were at the club, would you do that? No, No, like don't do it online. So like online is just a medium, right? Mm -hmm. It's like anything else. Just like the minute you meet someone online, it's just a meeting. So then Mm -hmm. everything you do from then on, like my husband, he was like, let's get on the phone. After like 10 seconds, I was like, what like this is weird he's trying to talk we're supposed to like go back and forth a few petty emails and like flirt and then he's like let's talk like why are we right. emailing and i was like yeah why are we emailing You're like let's get on the phone you know what i mean so you can use google numbers if you don't want people to have your actual phone number things like that but i think people have to be more open to online dating during a pandemic. I mean, you just can't go to restaurants like you could and clubs like you could and just walk up to strangers. Like guys right now, they know it's pretty uh, off <laughs> to just walk up. Like, oh, you cute. You're like, oh, it's the wrong. I know. I know, <laughs> right? Six feet. Give me six feet. So like, we can't, we have to reimagine what we used to think was okay about dating during mm-hmm. Corona and, and be open to either online dating or, you know, hooking people up with friends, you know, doing mm-hmm. things like that, or having a unit of people that you get together with to kind of, you know, network mm-hmm. with each other. But of right. course, online dating, you and other people are going to have to get back on it. Okay. okay. But as Black women, I think we do have a bit more paranoia about you know, just dating in general or online, like we're so often disrespected that that's mm-hmm. like a, always a filter we're looking through. So like I had a friend that a guy like text her at like 1045 and she was like, oh, it's late. Like who, who do you think I am? Like this ain't no right. movie call. Right. He, got, he gets off work at 10. Oh. So he went home, he kind of cleaned himself up, made some food and he calls you. So you have to get to know people before you have all these kind of rules of what you won't, will and won't accept. You know what I mean? You have to 
kind of be a little more flexible, especially during a pandemic and, and figure out your vibe of a person after you've had a few encounters, right? Mm-hmm. Like I talked to a friend this morning and she was like, oh, I hate the WYD. If someone texts me WYD, I never answer again. I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> That's so drastic. Like never. She's like, no, I'm done. Wow. You probably did that to 10 other girls. I'm like, okay, but they didn't know this was a rule for you or this offended right. you. So just have to do a little bit more getting to know people and putting patterns together before kind of screening them out. Mm, That sounds, that's important. Great advice. Um, What would you say are some good, like first date, date spots, especially during this pandemic? So say if you meet somebody online and y'all decide, okay, well, let's try this out and go on the date. What would be some good recommendations for a first date? Yeah. So my, of course, my summer list needs to be updated. The park, of course, was a great place, right? Mm -hmm. So it was great when it was, you know, cooling off a little bit. It wasn't so hot. It's open. You know, mm-hmm. you too could have your own little space. But there's a lot of restaurants that have outdoor seating, patios where you can meet up, be six feet from other people. You could decide if you're going to wear your mask. You know, when you guys first meet up, how have they been quarantining? Yeah. <laughs> that is a question. You do have to ask people and see if their quarantine style meets your quarantine <laughs> style. That's like the new, the new thing now. Like, right. can I date someone that still goes right. to the club? Can you I date your COVID someone? Test? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Or your COVID test. Are you negative? <laughs> like it's the new STD test. <laughs> Show me your paperwork. <laughs> but um I counsel people mostly like outdoor restaurants, outdoor, you know, I had a couple meet up at the grocery store and they really? just kind of walked around the grocery store together. I thought that was kind of cute. That, that was kind of cute. You need to you shop know, for like, groceries. You have to pay for your groceries. Like, how does that work? Put it in his cart. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just show in your car. Yeah. So um you just so you do have to be a little more creative, but mm-hmm. it, it really depends on your quarantine style. You know, we in the ATL where they at and like there ain't no pandemic. So you some know. people are like, Oh, you want to meet at the club? Oh, you want to go to a restaurant indoors? <laughs> and and that's that's them, right? right? I mean right. I don't think the CDC would be, agree, but no. that, that's what's a comfort level for them. So that's something you have to figure out with your partner that you're meeting up with and gauge and then respect each other. Gotcha. Okay. Great advice. So like, um, what are some of the keys you would say to dating to trying to find the right partner? Like, mm-hmm. I think sometimes we get caught up in, in, and I know I can't in my head. Uh, or maybe sometimes I just don't even really know. Like, what are what am I looking for? What is somebody mm-hmm. really looking for in a mate? And how can you break that down or find out what you really are looking for in a spouse and over time and who you're trying to date so you can weed out the bad apples and try <laughs> and keep the good ones, you know? Right. Yeah, it's hard. Yeah, it's hard. And I try to tell people, you know, even calling someone a bad apple, like the whole one man's trash is another man's treasure. It's real. You know what I mean? Because we've, I'm sure, dated some great people that they just weren't great for me. Right. right. They're going to be great for someone else. Right. So I think, and as we grow and, you know, what I wanted when I was 22 is not the same thing I wanted, like when I met my husband at 34. Right. right. So I wanted someone who, you know, wanted a family and who wanted to, you know, build you know, I would say an empire. That seems so, that's what he says. But, you know, we businesses together and was more family oriented, right? I'm very close to my family. So I, you know, didn't want to date someone who was like, why are you talking to your sister every day? Like, what's can I get my phone back? Right? So you have to look at those big things like finances, family, 
fertility. I call them the, the F's, the F factors, right? Mm-hmm. Finances. Are we on the same page? Family, you know, do you want to be around family? Fertility, like how many kids do you want? Do you want kids? Things like that. So those those major things. Mm-hmm. But you have to get to know someone before you can kind of figure all that out. You can't go to right. someone with a checklist on your first day. Like how many kids you want? When you want to get married? Do you spend time with you? Are you a mama's boy? Like I got to find all this out today. So I don't waste my time, you know? So I think we have to rethink, especially in these days where you're probably meeting someone online or through someone else, or you're not just like running into someone somewhere, have to be more open to um, figuring out if someone's not your cup of tea or bad apple or whatever (laughs) over a few, you know, weeks or something. Whereas before you might've figured it out after a date or two, right? Right. So I think you have to be a little more patient in this climate. Um, and a little more open to just meeting people, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not necessarily meeting you to be a husband. I'm meeting you to see if we vibe or if we have fun together. And then maybe you could be my husband or maybe, right. you know. I, and mm-hmm. I always say, date a few people at a time mm-hmm. until, mm-hmm. you know, you are finding someone you want to commit to or, you know, you know, someone wants to commit to you. Like, don't just right. meet one person and stop. Right. You know, that I know, oh. Especially my black women. We're like, oh, I'm yeah. the perfect guy. He's do that. Tall. He got a mm-hmm. job. He cute. I, I'm done. Like, I'm shutting down my account. I'm like, what? No, <laughs> you got to go on. No, this is not. Y'all ain't married. Why are you not talking right. to anyone else? So we have to do better. Women in general, not just mm-hmm. black women, about, you know, feeding into different people and relationships at a time. Right. That one guy doesn't have to be your husband. You right. Know? You know, date one guy who's fun and takes you to fun spots while you're meeting another guy who's like, oh, wait, you are husband material. So maybe mm-hmm. I could taper this off. Gotcha. Gotcha. So let's just transition right now. Um, you know, during this climate, we're in a pandemic. Been dealing with this since probably February or March of this year. Mm-hmm. And uh, mental health, you specialize in this aspect as a psychiatrist. So I know a lot of your patients, you've probably been helping cope during this pandemic and this climate, social climate as well. Yeah. So talk a little bit about like your work as a psychiatrist, working with juvenile kids. And I know as a criminal defense attorney with my clients and when I represent young, mostly probably black men um, mm-hmm. around those ages of maybe 17 to 25 mm-hmm. is where you'll see like transition, them start to transition or may have some type of mental health diagnosis that they know they have no clue about. They don't even right. know, but they're starting to see this gradual change. Right. So what are those ages that you typically see or start to see like young kids or juveniles start to have severe mental health? What's that age range? Yeah. And the interesting thing is it depends on the condition. There's some okay. conditions that can start actually pretty early, like mm-hmm. anxiety disorders. You know, mm-hmm. you actually can see those in school age kids. So elementary school and things like that, where they start being really anxious, you know, either socially or just like nervous about things and worried. Um, That happens in our younger population. Depression starts generally around our preteens, teenagers Mm -hmm. age, um, bipolar disorder a little later, around 20s, you know, 18 Mm -hmm. to 20s, late Mm -hmm. 20s, um, early to late 20s. Um, And your psychotic disorders, you generally don't see in your younger population. I know working in the mental health system and the core system, Mm -hmm. they they call all of our young black boys. They're like, oh, they're psychotic. They're seeing Mm -hmm. your things. And a lot of times that's a a factor of their environment or stress or pressure or anxiety or depression. Um, Mm -hmm. So you generally don't see psychotic disorders until your 20s. 
Okay. Um, kind of like your bipolar disorders. But uh, again, you know, you're seeing people at a snapshot of their lives sometimes, right? So the teachers might see one thing. The, mm-hmm. you know, people at a jail might see another thing. The parents might see another thing. Um, because kids are different in different environments, you know, where right. there's more boundaries and structure and support and love. Sometimes they're like, oh, I don't see any problems out of Harry. Harry's great with me. And you're like, what? At home, he's terrible. Okay. He's tearing stuff up. He's hitting me. He's beating us up, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so it's difficult. And then with COVID, I don't know if, if you know this, but there's been um, a decrease in the reports of child abuse um, mm-hmm. issues. And that's because the people who generally have eyes on our kids in negative situations aren't seeing them, right? So right. the kids aren't seeing their teachers face-to-face to see bruises and things like that. Doctors are doing a lot of virtual visits and they're kind of missing some things. So um, it's a little scary in our community because we're wondering what's going on with these kids in mm-hmm. that in the environments that they're stuck in. Um, CPS isn't able to do as many visits and transitions as before. Um, so we just all have to be very vigilant about, you know, kids and, you know, teenagers and their support systems and environment. And we need to do everything we can, yeah. you know, to, to support people, especially those that don't have the best situation. Yeah, that that's so critical. And I'm glad you said that because it's something that I've been seeing for quite some time. I'm not a doctor, but it's just I'm seeing it from my young clients and, and you just, mm-hmm. I mean, your heart goes out to them because yeah. this is what I'm going to transition to. A lot of my clients are black African-Americans and, you know, I know in the black community, they, it, it is a stigma with mental health. It's like yeah. you want to ignore it. And you may have been seeing this for years, you know, with a kid acting out, the behavior mm-hmm. changing, but you just never wanted to address it. Or probably just never wanted to get the truth or a diagnosis to say, this is what the kid has. This is how we need to treat it just to avoid it. So talk about that stigma, especially I would say in the black community with mental health and how we tend not to want to address it. Well, I, I I think that is a layer we don't necessarily want to address. But I think even before that we kind of label things different, right? We're like, he bad or, right. you know, he's this or that. So it's like, even before we get to a diagnosis, mental health isn't necessarily on the forefront of our brains or our minds as a problem or as an issue. Okay. So that's what I like to do a lot of education on mental health and mental health challenges and what those might look like, um, especially in kids and teenagers, especially in a community, you know, where they're struggling with their neighborhoods or their support system or, you know, parents that might work 24 seven and they're home alone a lot. Um, so what we're calling bad or negative or right. failing student might really be a sign of a mental health issue. So I think the first mm-hmm. is kind of an education piece. Mm-hmm. And then the the black community is not very trusting of the mental health system or the medical system itself. Right. And mm-hmm. that goes years back. Right. So they think, oh, they're going to try to drug my kid up or they're mm-hmm. labeling him or they don't want him to succeed. So there's a lot of different reasons that we might not want to confront an issue that we're seeing that even if we do think of mental health or know it might be a mental health issue, we might say, hey, we'll deal with it as a family. We'll go to the pastor. We'll we'll handle it in a, in a support system that we are comfortable with instead mm-hmm. of going to a counselor, going to a psychologist or psychiatrist for an accurate diagnosis and treatment plan. So I think it, it's going to take a lot of work 
from the medical community mm -hmm. to say, hey, we are being, you know, as transparent as we can. We're doing better, for, uh, you know, with stigma. We're doing better with cultural bias, right? Right. Even with like COVID, we're seeing it's affecting black and brown communities more. And they're finally talking about that, which is helping mm -hmm. us open up that conversation about everything, right? right. Cultural biases and, and the maternal mortality of black women, you know, all of that stuff is coming out now. So us in the medical community as black people are like, yes, we're getting right. to talk about all this now, but it's all wrapped up in that. So it's not just the mental health community that's facing that mistrust and paranoia. And I think we're, we're going to have to do a better job of being transparent and saying, look, we did mess up. We did make some mistakes when we didn't know, or we weren't educated, or there wasn't enough representation in the room, but we're doing better now and we want to help you. So I think we're, we're getting there. And I think we'll, the, we'll bring the community in eventually mm -hmm. as we get better. Got you. So like, I know also with some of my clients when they get arrested and usually it may just be a family member that might call. So clients acting out, they really just want to get them help or get yeah. them taken to a hospital. And we just don't have the same type of facilities we had years ago right. to help people who are dealing with the mental health diagnosis or illness. Yeah. So what would you say to that loved one instead of calling 911 or the police? Are there mm -hmm. alternatives or other outlets that you can call and try and get your loved one some help? Yeah. I mean, most hospitals or counselors, you know, depending on the time of day, you mm -hmm. know, have kind of like a crisis line where you can talk directly to kind of the mental health hospital or a mental health provider instead mm -hmm. of calling 911 where it's kind of routed through the police where they're like, oh, someone's being aggressive. So we, right. is this a criminal thing or is this a mental health thing? I think we're doing a lot better again at training police officers and there's mandatory trainings now for mental health where they are doing some work with saying, okay, this is obviously a mental health issue or maybe it is, maybe it isn't. So let me push it that way. But yeah, so reaching out to directly to call the hospital and say, you know, this is what's happening. What do you think? Or just... Mm -hmm taking them, if you can get them in a car and drive and getting an assessment at the hospital yourself, instead of calling for the police or ambulance to do it. Um, but at the end of the day, if you are going through an emergency, you do have to do what you got to do. But the cops, you know, they are dealing with a lot of crime and a lot yeah. of other issues. So sometimes, you know, that that's not their wheelhouse or it might be a certain cop that, that they haven't had some training. Or that's just like how I talked about. I was much better at a psychiatry than a pediatrician aspect. Right. So that's my thing. So with the cop, that might not be their thing. So they're like, I'm just going to do my job and take you to jail and then let them figure it out. Mm -hmm. You know, so the more interaction you can have with, you know, the mental health system or, you know, a crisis helpline. There's so many more crisis helplines now because of COVID. Mm -hmm. um, every state kind of has their different ones. So you can Google kind of, you know, mental health hotline or mental health crisis line, and they'll definitely direct you to the resources in your area. Okay. So um, now like we're coming around to the holiday season and we, yeah. we've talked about mental health, like people who've still been trying to cope during this pandemic. Mm -hmm. So what is some advice that you could give to people who are transitioning? You're not going to see all of the loved ones you're used to seeing for Thanksgiving yeah. and Christmas. Or, you know, you may have to wear masks while you're yeah. around certain people. So right. just talk about how to cope with that and how do people need to try and uh, deal and, and still have a good holiday season. Right. Yeah, mm -hmm. I think, you know, you have to appreciate what you can do or what you can have. Right. So mm -hmm. if you've been quarantining with certain people or interacting with certain people, you know, try to do something with that 
you know, group and keep it pretty small, you know, mm-hmm. um, if you do have to travel, make sure you travel safely, right? So either by car or if you do have to fly, you know, wear your mask. But honestly, you know, the holidays is kind of like we talked about with relationships. Your perfect holiday is just what you think of it, right? Mm. Your idea of what is makes a holiday great is based on your experiences or what you're defining it as. So you might have to redefine what's going to make it great this year. So it might be like, oh, instead of flying to see my family, we're going to pick a different activity in the city every day that we can do with our small, immediate family, right? right. So go see the tree in Atlantic Station or, you know, take a picture with Santa six feet away. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm so sad we might not get my so Photoshop my kids my with Santa this year. Exactly. <laughs> we get Black Santa every year. I hope he's working. Uh, but, you know, I might not get my Black Santa this year, you mm-hmm. know, and it's like, okay, but, you know, I'm alive and I'm healthy and I mm-hmm. do have the people, you know, some people I love around me. Um, and for those people who are alone or struggling or single, um, if you have, you know, seen people during quarantine, ask them what they're doing for the holidays and can they have one more? You know, you interact yeah. with each other at work or you interact, you know, you've had brunch. Don't be ashamed to say, I'm a, I'm going to be alone at Christmas and that, that makes me sad. So can I come mm-hmm. crash mm-hmm. your family event or just hang out with you? And you'd be so surprised at people who are like, oh my God, yeah, like, why not? Yeah, I trust you. I know you've been quarantining. Mm-hmm. I talk to you at work without masks. Come on. So I think- yeah. You have to redefine your expectations, appreciate what you do have, and don't be afraid to, you know, reach out to someone that might be a good support network for you. Mm. Awesome advice, Dr. Io. You know, I try. <laughs> so, okay, I always like to end the show with the talk that talk questions. I call them the triple TQs. So you just tell me off the top of your head what you think, and that's where we're going to go with it. Okay. So the first one, what advice would you give to a young Black girl who aspires to be a psychiatrist? Don't let anyone tell you it's not a good dream, and don't let anyone tell you you can't do it. You mm-hmm. can do it. And find people who you think can support you and help you in that, whether it's academically to stay on track, whether it's to be exposed to the environment. You know, don't be afraid to reach out for a mentor, ask for help. Okay. And the second one, why do you believe it is important for Blacks to pursue careers in medicine and specialize in psychiatry or whatever you just said, like having more doctors that look like us. Right. Because again, if you're not that race or you don't have that experience, you don't know. Even if you're the most patient, the most well-intended, the most down person, you don't know, you know, so we need more people that have lived those experiences Mm -hmm. who've had that, you know, that lifestyle and can connect and be a guide or a light for that community, be in that. Like so many people are like, you do not look like a psychiatrist. Like, I can't believe, like, they don't usually look like you, meaning I'm a black woman. I'm mm-hmm. younger than you think. Mm-hmm. So you you never know what kind of impact you could have on the next generation or someone that's scared to get treatment in any area of medicine, just by being a doctor or being a physician or psychiatrist. Mm. So important. And the last question, what is the legacy that you would like to leave for future generations? 
I just want them to say, you know what? She was, you know, a guiding light. You know, she helped people. She inspired people. She did her best to make the world a better place. Because that, that's really why I do what I do. I want my kids to be great. I want my marriage to be great. I want other people to be healthy and in and, and love and, you know, find other people maybe online. <laughs> <laughs> people scared of online. Mm-hmm. Um, I just want you to be your best and to have the best relationships you can. And, and if they look back, say she she did all she could to make that happen. Mm. That's awesome, Dr. Ayo. Oh, man, this is a great interview. I'm so it happy was. you could join today. Me too. So hope y'all didn't hear my kids in the background. <laughs> it's, it's a pandemic. So since I started I know, this podcast, I, 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 my phone was ringing. Annoying. Kids, people talking. So it's all good. We understand we have to do it from home. Thank you for your patience, for you and your listeners. (laughs) But um, just tell everybody, you know, where they can find you, your book, platforms, whatever you're doing right now. Go ahead and shout yourself out. So all my social media is IOGathingMD. So that's Instagram, Facebook. So if you know my name, you know where to find me on social media. And my website's actually easy to www.iogathingmd.com. So my name is me. I'm my brand. <laughs> hey, that's what it's about. Building yeah. your own brand. Get yourself yeah. out there. And, and it's fantastic. Um, you can also purchase uh, The Modern Trophy Wife from my website or social media. Okay. Or Amazon. Amazon. Amazon runs the world, man. Right? I love him. <laughs> Modern Trophy Wife. Uh, well, thanks again, Dr. Io Gathering, for joining the podcast. We enjoyed having you. And I'm sure my viewers and listeners will definitely get something out of this episode. So thanks again for joining. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Thank you. All right. I'll see you soon. Take care. I'm sure. Take care. Happy holidays. You too. <laughs> Bye. Oh, man. So that was a great episode. Episode 18, we had Dr. Io Gavin join the podcast and she gave us some great advice about marriage, kids, dating, relationships, and how to cope with mental health during this pandemic and moving forward to the holiday season. So you have to check this episode out. It was a great episode. So stay tuned. Go to Dr. Io Gathings platform, see what she's doing, and purchase her book. She's a Black doctor, a Black psychiatrist, which we rarely see, but we have to continue to support our Black sisters and brothers through this movement. So go purchase the book. Support her. Great advice she gave on this show today in this interview, and I'm sure there's more great advice in her book. So this has been a great season. Season one is over for the podcast. We're going to be moving forward and I'm going to be starting season two sometime after the first of the year. But I just wanted to give some great content and I hope all of my viewers and listeners have enjoyed what's been going on um, this first season of the podcast to talk that talk with me, your host, Fallon Stokes. But again, I know every episode I shout out a black business For episode 17, I did a little bit differently. We had a big win in the political climate, especially in Georgia with the state of Georgia turning blue. But I'm going to keep it up. And um, it's not going to be a black business shout out, but it's just going to be a a short little recap and me telling my viewers and listeners what you need to do while the season one is ending and we're moving forward to season two during this little break. But the first thing I want you guys to do, if you haven't done so, is register to vote, especially for people in the state of Georgia. And we have a big runoff election coming up. The election is January 5th, 2021. 
for the U.S. Senate seat here in Georgia, two Senate seats. So it's going to be important for people to go vote. If you don't want to go in person, you need to request those mail-in ballots now. So make sure if you want to go to early vote, beat the lines that you think you might see on Election Day on January 5th, early vote. Or if you just don't even bother going in, register now and get your mail-in ballot. It's so important and it's something that we have to do. It's our civic duty to vote if you're able to. So make sure you can do it and register now. And then the last thing I want to say is support Black businesses. That's something I've been shouting out every week. It's so important. We've done one thing and we did our part with this election and turn it up and show it out to vote for the federal election that took place on November 3rd. But we have to carry it on. And you can't just elect officials. You have to hold the elected official accountable that you voted into office and make sure whatever your agenda, your platform or what you hope to see in your local uh, politicians or even on the federal level, you hold them accountable and make sure they're doing what you voted them in to do. So we can't take our foot off the gas. But again, the next step is reshaping or growing our communities, especially our black communities. And it starts with investing in black businesses. If we can join and build our own communities, then we're going to continue to see the type of growth and change that we're aiming for. And that's, you know, to grow black communities and also to try and move forward and end in systematic racism. What we've seen in the criminal justice system, we've had episodes about that. What we've seen in just the economy and just businesses, we've had episodes about that. What we've seen in sports and, and who, it's a gamut of things we could talk about, but it's just so important, especially with Dr. Io Gavin just saying about the medical field and the medical profession, because we have been shortchanged and that was called out during this pandemic when we had so many black and brown people losing their lives to COVID-19. So we have to stay aware. And the message I can only just really truly try to get out there is the importance of voting. So register to vote and the importance of investing in black owned businesses. So that's the recap. And uh, that's just a shout out if I want to say it for this last episode for season one, episode 18. So again, important dates to remember, register to vote now. You can go register and the deadline is December the 7th to register um, to vote. And I think I made a mistake earlier, but early voting for the U.S. runoff election here in Georgia, it starts December the 14th. So make sure you get your absentee ballot if you don't want to go in. But if you do want to go in in person, you can start doing so December the 14th. And the election itself is January the 20th, January 5th, 2021. One. So next year, January 5th is the election day for the runoff. So you got to vote. Georgia was already blue. Got to keep the momentum going and make sure that you go vote on, on January the 5th. And the last place, if you want to get some key websites, if you want to see if you're registered or to register to vote, you can go to Georgia My Voter page. And the website is MVP period SOS period, G-A, period, G-O-V. That's a mouthful. And if you want to request your mail-in ballot, you can do so as well. And you can simply go to the website, ballot request, period, S-O-S, period, G-A, period, G-O-V. So go to both of those websites, one, to register to vote, and two, to request your mail-in ballot. You can do that now. So let's get it done. And again, I've enjoyed this season one. 
on this first season of Talk That Talk. We're going to have some amazing things coming forward and moving forward in 2021. Bye-bye 2020. We're going to start a new one in 2021 with season two. And hopefully I'll continue to have some great guests and just provide my listeners and viewers with just great information. But just understand the importance of what you can do to change your community and what you can do to help change this country. So that's season one. It's a wrap. Talk that talk. Me, your host, Fallon Stokes. Happy Thanksgiving and Merry Christmas. And we'll see you guys soon for season two of Talk That Talk sometime in 2021. Look out for it. It'll be on our IG handles as well as any platforms I'll put out videos so you can see, but I'll definitely give updates to let you know when season two starts. Take care.